Welcome to the Redefining Real podcast, where we set you up for success by building mantras to help you live your life fully and beautifully, and also where we break through society's norms and we redefine real every episode. On this episode of the Redefining Real podcast, we have a very special guest. This is the first guest I've ever had on my podcast. This is a very exciting moment. Her name is Lauren, and we are going to learn a little bit about her and her story. So Lauren, if you could tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, where you grew up, what you like to do for fun, and what you do as a job. Sure. So currently I live in South Texas. So Corpus Christi, um, it's one of the areas that was actually affected by Hurricane Harvey. Um, Luckily, I'm okay. My housing is okay. But um, so we're pretty far down the coast um, in Texas. I grew up here from birth to now. Um, I went to college somewhere really close and I haven't really left the area. So um, that's where we're at here. I hear though it is really beautiful in Corpus Christi. Oh my gosh it is. Um, It's the birthplace of the Tejano singer Selena. So um, even this weekend we actually have a party like a city-wide party for her because it was um, the anniversary of her death a couple days ago so they have like a huge block party for her. It's great Um, and it's it is beautiful. I mean palm trees everywhere for miles. (laughs) <laughs> that is a beautiful sight. <laughs> I can tell yes. Um, so I actually go, I'm actually a teacher. So I teach kinder through fifth grade elementary music. I teach in this area. However, I do teach an hour away from where I live. So I make a two hour commute every day because Texas commutes are no joke. It's that a is day. a hike. <laughs> yes. Um, so I teach music and I actually teach gifted and talented as well. So the kids who are identified get state, our school gets state funding for them. So they get a pullout program where I work with them once a week and it's a lot of fun. And as far as what I do for fun, uh, my fiance and I actually play a ton of board games. We are really into board games. I know it's, it's really strange. I guess we're, we're young, but we're so into board games. Oh we no. Actually, what's your favorite one? Oh, that's really hard. We or play, two. Yeah, we actually play a tabletop game that's based off of Star Wars. We love Star Wars. It's called X-Wing and it's a lot of fun. You like fly these ships around and it's turn-based, but it's also like chance because you have to roll dice and it's Ooh. so much fun. Yes, and we also play Dungeons and Dragons, of course. Uh, we actually have a group that meets once a week, and it's a lot of fun. That is so cool. Oh my gosh, I would have, we, me and my boyfriend, we used to play cards a lot, um, and that was honestly more fun than I ever remember it was being when I was actually younger. I was able to appreciate it a lot more, so I can understand where the fun comes from. We yeah. were actually, me and my boyfriend, we just went to Dallas this two weeks ago, And I saw that you were in Fort Worth on your Facebook, and we actually went there and we saw a rodeo, which was something else. Yes. Did you go to the stockyards in Fort Worth? Yes, we did. It's so pretty. It's like taking a step back into time. It It was definitely crazy. And the rodeo like blew my mind. This is because it's like what, how they make money. And it was just crazy. So it was really nice to experience something so different. 
and his sister lives in Dallas, so they go there often. So it was so crazy to see how, how these people live and how close it is to actual civilization as well. Yes, my fiance's family lives in Fort Worth. So, well, they actually live in River Oaks, which is in Fort Worth, basically. Um, so we go up there all the time. And that was actually my first time going to the stockyards. I had never gone before. And it is amazing. I can't wait to go to the state fair next year. I mean, it's going to be so much fun. It'll definitely be serious. Now, I know we talked a little bit before the interview, but would you mind discussing a little bit what your childhood looked like? I know it's a unique one, so I'd really love to really hear your story and what you went through and just tell everyone, like take them on a little journey of your childhood. Sure, okay, so I grew up um, with both my parents in the house um, my entire life, pretty much. I am an only child. Um, and when I was in about fifth grade, I found out that my mother was an alcoholic. And um, I actually didn't know for the longest time because I thought that was just how things kind of were supposed to be. Right. Yes. Yeah, so my dad actually kept it from me and hid it from me for a long time. Not to be sneaky or anything, but I think just to give me a chance at a normal life. But, you know, you reach a time with kids that you try and protect them for so long and then they kind of just figure it out. Um, so that happened, I want to say it was fifth grade, um, but my mom had started drinking probably when I was a lot younger. I know even before I was born, she was a heavy drinker. And, you know, my dad was too, but my dad does not have a very addictive brain at all, like at all. So just to give an example of that right now, he's doing a biggest loser competition with his job and he just up and stopped drinking beer, stopped eating carbs. He's lost 17 pounds in a month like, and he just decided to stop. Just like on a dime. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And my mom, on the other hand, was not like that. She actually grew up, both of her parents were also alcoholics. So she grew up in a similar situation, but that was back in the sixties and seventies when, you know, alcoholism was still very real, but yes. not identified at all. It was so, just a way of life at that point. <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, so my parents stayed married for a very long time, probably past the point that they should have, to be honest. Um, but like I said, my mom started drinking. Um, she didn't drink when she was pregnant with me. She always told me like, those were the only nine months that I, she's like, I had one glass of wine, <laughs> but, um, she, she did not drink when she was pregnant with me. And I want to say she didn't drink when I was an infant because my dad would always say, Oh, your mom was such a good mother. She was such a great mother. She was so attentive. You know, you never cried because she just knew what you needed. So I would like to think that that meant that she was also sober during that time. Right. And you can keep thinking it. <laughs> yes. yes right. One of those things where it just, it just eases your mind. Definitely. So when I found out that my mom was an alcoholic, um, there was definitely a shift in our relationship because I started to realize what she was doing was not only dangerous, but it was also really selfish. And I was mm -hmm. at those, um, those formative years, you know, I was a preteen going into teenage years. Um, I couldn't have friends over because I was so embarrassed. Um, and then even then I had like two really close friends who knew about the situation. And I even still felt, I, I honestly just felt like 
they felt sorry for me, not them specifically, but like their parents and their families that knew about it. So I just, I didn't even want to deal with that for a long time. So uh, my mom did go into rehab when I was in fifth grade and um, she went for like the month of December because I remember it was around Christmas time. So for alcohol addiction, it's um, a chemical addiction, not a physical addiction like smoking cigarettes you know you could just stop you'll be cranky but you'll stop with alcohol um if you just quit cold turkey you could die oh wow that's crazy i did no idea yes so what happens is you i mean and there are people that do it and you know they live and it's fine but to be on the safe side she did check into an inpatient rehabilitation facility and what they do is they basically medicate her um and it's monitored obviously she goes to group meetings she meets with a psychiatrist things like that well so she got out and the night that she actually got out she she got in a fight with my dad and she tried to chug like this whole bottle of NyQuil and my dad was like all right you're going back so um it was a crazy like Christmas Eve and I just remember and you know I remember thinking not is my mom going to be okay? I just remember thinking like, I cannot get through one holiday without something crazy happening. And I was so frustrated. Obviously that's fifth grade me. Like I'm a child. I can't, I can't process these feelings very well yet. Right. And you're also in such a stage where, I mean, I remember when I was in the fifth grade, I was really overweight and uh, all I wanted was attention, right? It's all I ever wanted was to just feel like I had some sort of attention and that I wasn't just like a throwaway fat kid. And it's just, it's just that need for attention and you're battling it with something that's so much bigger than you. And you're like, why aren't I enough? Right. And I think that's one of the major takeaways from your past is just like the alcohol was bigger than you. And it's really hard to come to that realization that and you did in such a glorious way. Now, I know I have previously had anxiety attacks. Like I I got my first one when I was in algebra class in the 10th grade and my teacher was writing homework on the board and I just my whole world felt like it was caving in and my I was felt like I was getting engulfed and I didn't know what was happening. And then so I would get them randomly randomly, but when I went away to college, I would get them so bad it actually messed with my depth perception. Like I would talk to people and it'd feel like they were 10 feet away, but they were only three feet away. And I just remember, I know that they're so different for everybody. Can you explain yours to me? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I actually didn't receive my first panic attack until I was in college as well. But I will say my anxiety stems all the way back to kindergarten. So I honestly do feel like I had my first anxiety attack when I was in kindergarten. So like I said, I was, I grew up in a very small secluded home. My parents don't have friends. (laughs) They do now, but when I was a baby and stuff, they didn't have friends. We didn't live close to family that had little kids. So I kind of grew up with just me and my parents. So when I went to kindergarten, I went to the cafeteria for the first time and I flipped shit. I did not want to be there. I was like screaming, crying. It was so loud and it freaked me out. There were big kids in there. There were little kids in there. I didn't know these people. There were all these strangers talking to me. So I could not deal with it. So I actually had to eat in the counselor's office for like two weeks. And my parents say, and I'm sure this is like pushing it a little bit, but they're like, you didn't eat at home either. I was very, and that's how my anxiety kind of manifests in me. Mm -hmm. I literally 
cannot eat. I just do not have an appetite. Like to this day, I have to, when I'm having like that anxiety, I have to force myself to eat. So I think it kind of stems back from back then. It was like, I was associating food and, you know, yeah, with fear. And then it kind of just went forward from there. But my first panic attack was um, after my dad had moved the summer before with my stepmom. They live in Washington, D.C. So I didn't have, I didn't, I still didn't have a great relationship with my mom. Um, she is sober now. She just, a couple days ago, she's nine years sober. So Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yes. Um, she's probably going to listen to this. So congrats. Congrats. Um, woohoo. <laughs> Um, so I, at that time, I didn't have a great relationship with my mom and my dad had left. And in my college, we have to do um, performance reviews. And it's basically, I mean, they call them mid-level reviews. And it's where five or six of the faculty will sit on a panel and they'll call you and they'll look over your transcripts, make sure you're on track to graduate. It's a very small department. So, you know, one, you pretty much know all of the professors. You've had them at least once. So in my interview, um, they went through my transcript and they said, oh, wow, you know, your grades are great. You're on track to graduate. You're an amazing player because I was a music education major. You know, you're doing great in your ensembles. Um, So what do you want to do after this? You know, like they were just like, just genuinely asking. And I just looked at them and I just started to cry. Like, I I was like, I need to leave this room right now. And I just got up and left. And my professor, my applied professor was in there my the one that taught me my instrument and she came out and she was like what is wrong and I couldn't even talk to her I was like I, I, and I just left um and I went home and I slept for like two days wow I was just, yeah it was super crazy um it was debilitating it was it was <laughs> and I had never had that happen to me before and that's when that happened at that moment I all I could think was what is wrong with me? There was like a part of me trapped inside of my body that was like, this is not a big deal. It's fine. But like my body shut down. Um, I could not deal with it. And I had friends that went through that mid-level review that those professors were like, "Mm, this is not for you. You should change your major. So I by no means had a bad mid-level review. Right. But it doesn't matter if it's actually bad. It's how your mind perceives it. And I think it's just such, I mean, I didn't, I had a similar feeling too when I got asked, like, I actually switched schools. I dodged every counselor there ever was. I changed my major like six times. I was my own guidance counselor. I was like, fuck everybody. I can do this by myself because I actually don't want to face the truth of what they would say to me. I literally avoided it like the plague because I was afraid of that question because I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated. So I 100% can really relate to that same question because I dodged it like to the fullest extent. And I didn't, it got to the point where I didn't go to a guidance counselor, right? Or whatever you call them. And I put in my intent to graduate and it got denied. And I was just like, um, so I called the Dean's office crying and he was like, oh no, you're fine. It's just cause you've never seen anyone and you did it by yourself. And I was like, okay, great. Let's move it on to good to go. And, uh, but I caused myself so much more anxiety because I avoided it because I didn't want to get asked that question. Right. And so to me, it's so crazy because anxiety and panic manifest in such different ways where you slept for two days because it was so debilitating. To me, that's so interesting because 
when I get anxiety or panic attacks, I just like am running back and forth, like flailing my arms. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm like, I can't do this. Da, 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 da. And so it, it's so amazing to see how everybody is so different. Right. And now I definitely think that it being so debilitating does almost root back to your childhood where you would just revert to introvert. Right. right. Be like, okay, here I go inside. And it's so amazing because my whole life, I was always trying to be more and more and more. So I'm pretty sure that's why I have extroverted panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And it's just so amazing to see. And I really wanted to dig in and see how much they differ. Um, and so have you had any more? Not that I want you to, <laughs> but... <laughs> No, I actually, I haven't. I do experience some depression, um, but I wouldn't say it's clinical. I, I wouldn't right. say that at all. I mean, with life, um, my fiance yeah, now, you know, we're, <laughs> it's really nice because I, I was really honest with him when we first started dating about, you know, cause I used to sleep all the time, just in college. I, my major was so, it took so much out of me and I was always so tired and, you know, doing music is such a personal thing. So you're constantly putting yourself out there for someone and they may or may not like it. And that's really not your problem, but I didn't understand that for a long time. Um, so I, I still occasionally will just tell him like, Hey, I need a weekend. Hey, I need this day to just go to sleep. I'm just, I need to recharge. Um, but but because of the anxiety attacks, you know, the panic attacks in college, I think I realized, you know, what my body needs and I started listening right. to my body. Amen, sister. Mm -hmm. The most important thing. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, you know, I think it's important that I think with mental health and, you know, anxiety attacks and panic attacks, so many people don't want to talk about them because they're perceived as weakness and it's not right. weakness at all. You just. You or even craziness. Right. <laughs> Right, exactly. I mean, so many people, so many people suffer from that. I mean, I don't even want to say suffer because it's not suffering. It's Experience. just people live with it. Yeah. Right. It's... And I think if it were more well-known, more people would get over it quicker and have resources to do that. Right. Um, it did take me pretty much all of college until I was out in the career world to realize that these are the things I need to do. These right. are the boundaries I need to set for myself in order to keep myself happy, keep my energy where it needs to be, all that good stuff. So now I want to talk a little bit about mindset because I know mindset is a game changer for so many people at so many walks of life. It doesn't matter where you are. You can always change your mindset. Um, tell us a little bit about how mindset ultimately changed your life. I mean, it could be from even in your childhood all the way to your career your career time because it really is so impactful and I'd love to hear how it really shifted. Sure. So like I said, my mom's been nine years sober. So when she first became sober, she is going through Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a program that they have meetings, all that good stuff. They study what they call the big book and it's got 12 steps. So you need to like work, they call it working the steps um, and you go through each one and you apply it to your life. Um, so she got to the step of making amends and, you know, that's generally the toughest one. <laughs> yes. So she got to that step when I was about, I want to say 17, 16 or 17, something around that time. And she got to her amends step and she tried to make her amends with me. And I was 
16 or 17 and I was mad. I, I stayed mad for a long right. time. And I was like angry all through high school. I was not the person that you wanted to be friends with in high school. Um, and I was angry for like the first half of college because I was mad at everything that she did because, you know, people with addiction, and I'm sure some of your audience can resonate with this, people with addiction, they eventually will get sober. And then to them, it's like, oh, that's just a part of my past, but they don't realize all of the wreckage that they left, including the people in their life that they may have messed up a little bit. Right. So, you know, she got to, this was my mindset back then she got to walk around and say oh I'm one year sober I'm two years sober you know look at this amazing thing that I did and I'm having anxiety attacks and I cannot have like a good relationship with people up until this point because I don't trust people you know I I had a lot of negative side effects from her addiction and it even went back to me thinking I didn't do this you know I wasn't the alcoholic I don't deserve this um, but I got to a point where I realized I was holding all that anger and resentment. Yeah, resentment yes, yes, yes. Uh, to her. And I realized it was eating me up. And I just, right. one day I just woke up and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. It is exhausting. I am already in college. I don't want to deal with this on top of school. So, you know, I forgave her for everything. I let that go. Um, and it's really helped me shift my mindset quicker than I used to because I had to do something that big. So even now, um, you know, I, like I said, I drive two hours a day. I maybe complained about that commute like once back in August. And I was like, okay, you know, it's just, it's just part of my job. You know, I get to listen to podcasts. I get to listen to right. audiobooks. You know, it's a, a time for me by myself to really reflect. So I, I'm fine with it. So I think that, you know, mindset is a huge component in your daily life. I mean, look at meditation. If you've ever meditated, um, your mind can do amazing things. So I think mindset is super important. Um, I never really shifted my mindset as a child. Um, I just kind of like got over it, I think, and went through the motions. But definitely when I was in college, I started to realize, you know, okay, all of these bad things that are happening to me, I'm perceiving them as bad. And yeah, maybe they they might be shitty right now, but I can't control them. I can only control myself and the way I think about them. Yes, I know definitely too. I grew up in a little bit of a broken home and... I was dealing with stuff when I was about 17, 18, when it happened when I was seven or eight. So I do feel like your mindset has to shift all of the years prior, right? So it's not like you can just shift, like shift it like that. It's really taking into account everything that's happened before that and how you can change it and apply it to all of those years that you were holding grudges and holding resentment, because you're right, it is so much work and it is so tiring. And I held grudges for so long. And then finally, when I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care. We're all good here. It was like a wave washed over me. And it's really something that I would love to share with everyone and say, just say, okay, move on forgive them for their past. And if they do it again, that's when you, you're like, okay, fool me once. Okay. Fool me twice. It's done. 
Yeah, see, and even growing up with an addict, that was something that I struggled with because, you know, there were times before my mom got sober that she would tell me, like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing it. And I would say, okay, because I was young. Right. And then she would do it again. And I would, I would chalk that up to like my self-worth like oh maybe I did something wrong maybe she's doing this because of something I did maybe it's because I didn't clean my room maybe it's you know and I I thought that for a long time and I took on a lot of guilt and then that guilt changed into like anger because I realized it wasn't anything I was doing um it was right things that were going on with her so I you're definitely right I mean you do have to kind of go back and process those earlier years. Definitely. Now, one last question. If you could tell your younger self anything, what would it be? Oh man. I think I would tell my younger self to just keep on pushing through your, I think you're doing exactly what you should be doing. I wouldn't go back and change any of this. Right. Definitely. But if you could give yourself a pep talk, because I know I would give myself a couple pep talks. I think I would say that it's not, it's going to get harder before it gets easier, but this Mm -hmm. is going to make you so much stronger. Right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Redefining Real podcast. Now, where can people find you? Sure. I'm on Instagram. Um, my handle is lauren.cordani, C-O-R-D-A-N-I. And that's pretty much it. Um, Perfect. No podcast, nothing like that. So just Instagram. Perfect. I will send everybody there. And thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to hear your story and really see how you've grown into such a beautiful woman who is doing wonderful things with kids who are also very gifted. I mean, (laughs) not everybody can say that. That is for sure. So thank you so much. And I hope you have a great day. Yeah. Thanks for having me. 